Welcome to another episode of New Teacher Talk. We're here to support you. Our podcast channel is intentionally designed to support those who are new to teaching. We talk about the most common challenges that educators experience, and you'll find a community of support through this channel, our associated webpage, newteachersguide.org, and our Twitter account, at newteachertalk1. We're the hosts for New Teacher Talk. I'm Dr. Anna. My passion is supporting teachers as they establish and expand their practice to build a long and fulfilling career. I'm a board-certified early childhood generalist. And I'm Dr. Beth, former high school band director and current career and teacher educator. A passion of mine is to help new teachers find solutions. If you're listening to this podcast, either you are or will be a new teacher in the future, or maybe you're a new teacher mentor or induction coordinator. It's no secret that becoming a successful teacher is challenging. We all need to work toward developing a diverse and learner-ready workforce, including ways to address structural inequalities in our schools. We have a well-known educator as our guest today to talk about culturally responsive teaching, Dr. Saroja Warner. Welcome, Saroja. Would you share with us a little bit about your work and your deep interest in the topic of culturally responsive teaching? Absolutely. So I am currently directing some work at an organization called WestEd. WestEd is a research and evaluation group, and we do a lot of work with school districts and with state education agencies to help them build that workforce of teachers and principals who look like students, are representative of our students, and are also culturally responsive and sustaining educators. I'm really fortunate to work with a great racially, ethnically, culturally diverse uh, team at my organization. But I started my career like you um, in the classroom. I was 15 years a high school social studies teacher. I still hold my national board certification, which is probably one of my, I would consider my crowning achievements, very proud of that. And my interest in this topic is really very personal, and then that sort of personal extended into my professional work. I am the child of immigrant parents to this country uh, from Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean, and growing up experienced, I think, with a lot of young people, particularly in the generation I grew up in, in this country experience, you know, before 2000, I'll say, <laughs> to date myself, but just feeling the like the only one, people not knowing even then what, where Trinidad was to say, where are you from? Not seeing myself represented in not just the educators school, no, no other Trinidadian or Car- even a Caribbean person in the schools I went to, but not seeing myself represented in the curriculum, my, my history, my culture, my foods, my music, you know, just everything about who I was just felt absent in school spaces. And then continuing to experience that as I moved into higher ed, in professional spaces as a teacher, and, you know, let's even broaden the, this identity piece. It wasn't even just not seeing or being able to uh, be in the company of colleagues who are from the Caribbean, but just people of color. I worked in a lot of spaces where my colleagues in schools were white. And in some schools, because I was teaching advanced placement courses, 
there were no teachers of color teaching advanced placement courses. So like, it just kept feeling that theme of being the only one, the only one, and not seeing myself, right? Not, not having colleagues I could connect with or being represented. So I think this question of my deep interest, it's really because of these experiences I had and not wanting that for the next generations, you know, as a teacher, wanting to make sure I saw my students and the rich diversity, the richness of their diversity in the classroom and could bring these sort of different opportunities every day for them to, to see themselves, to feel valued and to be heard. That's so important because when we talk about student engagement, we can't engage students who cannot see themselves as being a valued member of that classroom. So that's really the first place that educators need to start. They need to understand how to see their students and to value them by showing that they matter. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. You know, the other thing that you're making me think about too is that I think there's a, a huge misconception in the field that culturally responsive teaching is for students of color, that somehow it's not for white students too. And, you know, not to go down that rabbit hole about whiteness and identity um, too much, but but to say that, you know, that being white is not a culture. It's an identity characteristic that was put in place by a system to try to categorize folks and label folks. And, you know, so this piece about seeing our students, it's you know not just our kids of color, it's seeing all of our students and the various cultural experiences that they have, being able to help them even understand that and to see the, again, like I, I love this concept of like the richness in that diversity, like literally, you know, evoking the money, you know, the currency, the value, right? That, that's very real. And the other piece that, that you brought up is the fact that culture, it's not necessarily skin color, that even in a predominantly or an all-white classroom, there's cultural differences there. And you have to be understanding of the value that each one of those students bring. Often, I work with teachers in a part of my state where predominantly everyone in the community is white. And they say, well, cultural responsive teaching is not for me. But oh, yes, it is. You have to feel those children that you work with. You have to know them. You have to value them. This is where, as much as I have embraced this new technology of the podcast and really have come to appreciate it, I miss being able to see you right now, um, Doc, and for you to see me because you would have seen me, you know, sort of snapping my fingers and nodding yes to what you just said. <laughs> but, but that's absolutely right. You know, there's, there's different kinds of cultures and we all belong to a variety of cultures. There's religious culture and ethnic culture. There's regional culture. I always used to talk to my students about the very culture we build collectively in this classroom and that my first period culture is different than my fifth period culture. So yes. that's real. 
As new teachers, Saroja, as they start the second half of the school year, what culturally responsive teaching strategies might they consider using to add to what they have been doing or on board with their students? In our work to be more culturally responsive teachers, our go-to shouldn't be to, you know, grab that handbook and start implementing these like things, these tactics, I would call them, right? It's like, there's tons of material out here written by very well-respected, don't get me wrong, very well-respected and amazing educators and scholars. I feel really strongly that for, for new teachers, like this is your opportunity to design your very intentional approach. And, you know, just to make reference again to the book, to the handbook and the piece that I actually wrote, that was really what I tried to emphasize in, in that piece this work to be culturally responsive is deliberate practice. And there's the best time to really get your approach right is now as a new teacher. You know, you're coming fresh out of some sort of prep program or residency or clinical experience. This is a great time to slow it down and to be very intentional and deliberate about your practice and thinking about like, what are the things that I need to grow for myself so that I not just implementing strategies, but I'm actually retraining my brain and my mind about how I think about my practice. You know, this pedagogical piece is so very strong. And my advice or my suggestion is for new teachers to think about what is my plan of action, I would call it. And think of this as a two-pronged approach. There's the internal part of your plan and the external. And what I mean by that is there's the ongoing internal work that is really critical for teachers to do that engages us in that reflective practice. Here's my question to all new teachers. What is your plan of action for engaging in continuous improvement of self? What are those routines that you can create? You know, just like I brush my teeth every morning, right? Or I pay my mortgage once a month, right? What are those intentional routines I'm going to put in place for engaging in that self-reflection? Because when the heat is turned up and new teachers right now, wow, I don't envy what you're dealing with in schools during the pandemic. The challenges that every day, you know, that when the heat is up and the heat is on, you know, you have all these other priorities that rise to the top. You know, your lesson planning, you're dealing with your grading, you're coming up with your virtual activities, your virtual lessons, you got the reporting requirements and all these other things that come with our teaching gigs. And we deprioritize, I think, in, in the middle of all that, this important work of the self-reflection and growth. And so thinking through like, what is going to be my routine? I need to set that in place to really reflect on my practice so that I move from just being culturally responsive in practice to actually being culturally responsive as a teacher. And I emphasize that difference between the practice and the being, because I think it really starts with your being, your humanity, as I wrote about in the piece, reflecting on your life experiences, your membership, these same groups that we talked about, cultural groups, thinking about your membership in different groups, and how do those memberships inform the way you understand your own identity yourself and also your beliefs about people who are different from you or who are associated with different groups, so to say. 
how do those factors influence how you understand privilege, your own privileges and the things that you benefit from? Where do you make time to pause and reflect and think about how you may, I mean, even unwittingly, right, adopt social biases that can influence and shape how you interact with students, families, and colleagues. So that internal work is so critical. When you are in situations where you see stereotypes at play, prejudices at play by your colleagues, could be students to student interactions, how do you typically respond? Do you interrupt that injustice? Do you even know how to, you know, as you start to really think about that and grapple with that? And if you don't, why not? What work do you need to do to be able to learn and grow, to be able to be that interrupter? Are some of the internal things? And then I think the external things are really, for me, it's sure, it's all the things that the books say, you know, like it's about adapting curriculum materials and, and just learning more about different cultures and histories and through your content. I know I've been doing a lot of work with math teachers lately about what does it mean to be culturally responsive and sustaining through mathematics education? How do we make that material more culturally responsive? There's sure there's the content part of the work and your lessons, but again, this relationships piece, this humanity, how you interact with students is so vitally important. Again, it's what I emphasize in the piece in the book. And if we don't work on our relationships with students, it doesn't matter how high quality and culturally responsive our curriculum materials are or our books are. How do you engage with your students in authentic and very genuine ways that are based and anchored in high expectations that encourage your students to want to learn about things that are different, that make them risk takers in a classroom and willing to share about themselves with their colleagues, with their peers in the classroom. How are you going to engage with your students? I was so drawn into your response, Saroja. The notion that you are talking about this approach, this internal and external, being purposeful, the reflective piece. We have to get in touch with who we are And then we have to be cognizant of things going on around us and with our students. Do we know our students? And new teachers, as we all know, struggle at times, which is sort of getting through the day. It's even more problematic, as you mentioned, because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But they really want to get to their students. They have to know their students. They have to be able to connect with their students. That's asking a lot of a new teacher, but it can be done. I think that it is becoming even more challenging with our current political context. Let's go ahead and, you know, bring out the herd of elephants, right, that are in our room. The backlash against critical race theory, the ways that critical race theory is being sort of, I would argue, confused with what culturally responsive and sustaining teaching is. Book banning, we're seeing that on the rise around the country, you know. I cry to think that there could be children in coming through K-12 that won't have an opportunity to read a a book by Toni Morrison because it's been banned. The latest in one state in our country that wants to ban the use of the word gay, where no one can say gay. This political climate is having huge repercussions on 
the conditions in schools that teachers have to work in. And if there's one thing I've be coming to understand, I'm coming to appreciate about those entering our workforce now in this time, all of our new teachers now, is that what makes them distinctly unique is that they're really choosing this profession out of a real passion and commitment to advancing equity. Of all the generations of, of new teachers that came to the schools, the ones that are picking this profession now in this time, that's really what is the driving force here. So, you know, I commend, I hold up in high esteem new teachers today and appreciate like the struggles that you're experiencing. And just want to reinforce for listeners that there's hope and there's opportunity. Look, we got to get strategic too. There's workarounds. So when the law tells you, you can't do, you know, something, you can find a way through the ways that you engage with your students and your high expectations of them and your self-work. What can you do to ensure that every child goes home and when they are sitting with their loved ones for a meal that evening, can honestly say, I learned a lot today. And that's a place that I want to go back to tomorrow. Making our classrooms that place that students want to return to every day and be part of that classroom community is so important. One of the issues that I think new teachers have been dealing with, though, is when you're faced with a classroom of individuals from a multitude of cultures, how are they able to keep all of those multiple cultural lenses in mind as they plan? This is such a great question to grapple with. And I think it also reinforces something we talked about earlier, and that was this idea of culture not being monolithic, that culture can't be reduced to a list of characteristics, or for that matter, to these very specific children in a room. Even in the most culturally diverse classroom, the response to how do you ensure that all these children see themselves in the room isn't necessarily that they see specifically themselves, but rather that they see diversity in that classroom and that they can embrace that they are part of that diversity. And so I tell new teachers a lot, the biggest mistake you could make, it's an unintended consequence of your good intention, is to make a bunch of assumptions about who your students are culturally and rather tap into the students themselves to co-construct what that looks like in the classroom. So, okay, that sounds super conceptual. Let me give you a practical example of what I mean. In a classroom, I'll just tell you my experience. One year, I had a student who I came to learn was from Somalia. Uh, it was a world history classroom. I mean, that obviously gave me great opportunities to embrace diversity uh, through world history, but he was from Somalia. And I knew a lot about Somalia, but I didn't know his experience as a Somali. Rather than me trying to figure out how to make sure he was seen in the classroom, I made space for him to be seen in the classroom. And I invited him to co-construct with me, particularly when we were covering through our course, the history that would engage 
Somalia that would be about it or where they were engaged in something to really be the expert in that room and to be able to be the voice of here's what I learned coming up. Here was my experience when I lived there. Just create the spaces for diversity of culture to be seen and embraced and valued. What happens in a classroom when you have students from various cultures, what I've seen oftentimes is that the focus for the teacher is it gets distilled to like those characteristics of the culture. It's unintentional, but we lose our humanity in that we forget that these are individuals and individuals experience their culture in a variety of different ways. I actually lean away from the idea of lenses and instead think about mindsets. So the important lesson here for new teachers is when you have students of various cultural backgrounds in your classroom, you keep your focus, go back to like your action plan and your internal work and your responsive mindset that you're developing about your practice. And if you do that, hopefully it keeps you away from the traps. Some of the, again, well-intentioned teachers fall into traps often because they lose track of that pedagogical part of their practice, asking themselves, well, why am I going to do that? What is it I want to accomplish and why am I going to do it this way? And keeping it more about how do I make sure that this is a safe, inclusive, welcoming classroom where difference is valued and assets are identified in that difference, where we are not color evasive, right? Where we see color and we talk about the you know, beauty and value that we all bring in all of the hues that we represent. And then the hard conversations too, which you know we have to scaffold this depending on the age group we're working with, but about how color has also created hardship, challenge, kept people out of certain circles and privileges and benefits in our country, shoot, in our world's history. And so being able to do that is, I think, much more important than making sure that each and every child is somehow attended to. You know, Black History Month, and we're focusing on all these great contributions of Black people in our country, and it can sometimes be tokenizing, and it can also be done in some ways that are hurtful and cause harm to our students. I certainly agree with what you've said, Saroja. And the piece that resonated the most with me is just that leaving spaces for our students to be able to express themselves, to bring to us what it is they may need. And as responsive educators, we need to be ready to think about those children as individuals and to look at them. They'll lead us to where they need us to be. And as an early childhood educator, I've always learned that so often you may have a lesson ready, but you also within that lesson have to be able to listen to where your students are taking that lesson and how they are interpreting that goal or how they're understanding the goal and to deepen it for them just by listening and paying attention. That's right on. Thank you, Saroja, for spending time with us. There have been so many thought-provoking ideas that we'd like you, 
our listeners to take time to consider how you can begin to reflect on your strengths and stretches as you develop your own culturally responsive practice. Join us for part two of our conversation with Dr. Saroja Warner. We also hope you'll become a regular follower of this podcast channel. Email us at thenewteachersguide at gmail.com to comment on this episode or share ideas for future podcast topics you'd like to hear. Finally, follow us on Twitter at NewTeacherTalk1. You can find us on Instagram at NewTeacherTalk. And remember, as a new teacher, we are here to help you.